All right, you guys, welcome back to the Davis Fitness Method podcast. I promise I can say it. Um, so I have Dan Stevenson and Tasha Whalen. These are two incredibly strong, smart individuals. If you guys could, if you could tell me or tell our guests what you guys do, who you are, and then we can kind of jump into things. Perfect. Yeah, awesome. Well, first of all, thank you for having us on. We're excited to be here and talk shop and uh, hang out and yeah chat about some cool stuff. Uh, so first off, um, well, in my intro, I'm Tasha Wolf Whalen, and I have been in the fitness industry for 20 plus years at this point. I've worked my way up from cleaning the gyms to front desk to being a personal trainer, group fitness instructor, and uh, head strength and conditioning coach, which I currently am at Pro Sports Club just outside of Seattle. Um, I'm also the manager of that facility and one of the lead personal trainer and mentors. On top of that, I'm also a master instructor for the pain-free performance certification course, which was uh, designed by Dr. John Russin. So some of you may have heard of that. So I'm definitely present uh, as a master instructor for that. Uh, athletically, uh, I've been a competitive strength athlete for a number of years now. Uh, for the last 10 plus years, 12 years, a competitive power lifter. And for the last few years, a competitive lightweight strong woman. So I compete in like world championship nationals and yeah, I really love being strong. And yeah, so it's fun. Uh, academically, I did go to school too, just kind of chime in on that. I have multiple degrees. I am definitely guilty of being in college for way too long. So I earned degrees in cultural anthropology, archaeology, dance exercise science, and athletic training. Again, I was making up for some uh, bad years of high school, and I just decided to keep going to college for a, a while. So definitely have a, a variety in my background, for sure. But that is uh, a little bit about me. Yeah, Awesome. I'm uh, Dan Stevenson, Tasha's husband. Uh, also been in the fitness industry for near 20 years now, coaching for the last 16 plus. Uh, so yeah, I mean, my background athletically, very similar to Tasha, strength athlete, started with powerlifting for probably 10 years ago. I uh, just dabbled in my first strongman uh, competition actually just recently. Uh, but yeah, also an instructor for the Pantry Performance Specialist Certification. Uh, so we do travel around, teach that course. Uh, I'm also an educator at the same facility as Tasha, so very similar background. I'm his boss. Yeah, we, we can buy yeah. that again. <laughs> Yeah, so she is my manager. Uh, I get to be the educator and mentor uh, to really lead the education for the trainer team. We have, I think, currently about 80 trainers on staff there. So it's a pretty large club, wow. pretty large team. So, yeah, it's a lot of fun to actually get to mentor some newer trainers that we bring on and uh, handle a lot of the education, too. So, okay. Yeah, you be here. Yeah, so, I mean, a couple of routes I want to go, but now immediately now, um, just given the load of trainers that you guys have there how do you kind of initially handle like it sounds that would sound like a lot of coaches to educate how do you initially handle that and how are you kind of taking inventory of of maybe the quality of their sessions and and how they're doing with the training that you're presenting with them yeah so we uh we start i mean right off the bat with onboarding so we have uh, about a three-week onboarding process uh it's where our trainers actually start on salary They'll meet with me as well as a few of the other senior coaches that have been there. And we'll do a lot of almost like a, like a school, if you will. So we'll have these different sections where, yes, the all, all the admin stuff. So we're making sure that they're kind of, you know, proficient, self-noting, 
uh, proficient in doing blood pressures, all of the hard skills there. And then we'll meet and talk a lot about the soft skills, uh, do some practice, what we call get started or initial consultations. And then that's something that I'll work with them on both in terms of maybe one-on-one after they've kind of gone through their practice sessions there uh, and check in with them after the onboarding process to make sure that they're feeling confident and being able to communicate and demonstrate their skills with, you know, keeping the client safe and not feeling, you know, that they're just left out to dry basically. So uh, yeah, pretty regular check-ins. I'll follow up with them. And then we also do periodic education. Like we did one just today, actually uh, presenting to our team. So yeah, so we actually uh, kind of design a lot of presentations for them. So we'll go through uh, program design, client retention, uh, communication skills, that kind of stuff, warm-ups, cool-downs, conditioning methods. Uh, so we we really try to kind of teach a well-rounded uh, education there. And so we really kind of bring these coaches up to very high levels to be some of the um, most educated as, as we can possibly get. So we bring a lot of guest teachers in as well. Uh, we've had Luca Hosbar come into our team meetings and present as well, uh, which is really cool to do that. Joel Jameson has done it as well. So we're kind of in charge of bringing people in for uh, educational uh, courses and whatnot. So it's it's pretty fun. So yes, definitely um, well-rounded. A lot of stuff goes into our education there, which is a really cool and kind of a unique thing about Pro Club is that we do really hone in on educating them and leveling up skills, um, hard skills and soft skills all around. So awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Does that does that mean that you guys kind of are kept on your toes as well when it comes to like educating yourselves because you're constantly having to educate these coaches? Um, do you feel the need to constantly educate yourselves as well? Absolutely. Yeah. So I mean, we love education, so it's kind of a shoe in in that regard. Yeah. Like we'd be taking these courses anyway, uh, but kind of knowing what's out there, right? So that we can teach to different levels because you get all these people from different backgrounds, like people who've never coached live before. Uh, some people that, you know, have experience with like group fitness or maybe they've gone the route of like um, education through like PRI, for example, uh, or PPSC, all of these different systems and just kind of knowing at least almost being like a, a generalist with the knowledge of what's out there so that we can kind of bring it back into like, okay, here's how you can apply it. And here's maybe the best things that like we have found from those that can really help them understand and, and apply all that knowledge. Cause a lot of it's like fantastic. There's great education out there. Right. But sometimes you get overwhelmed with like a two day workshop or weekend certification. They come back Monday and you're like, okay, I took one thing out of that. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's huge for us, like, just to be, like, we we would do it anyway, right? So it's uh, fantastic that we can actually kind of work towards that and educating the rest of the team and being well-versed in some of that stuff, so. It also helps with our credibility, too, because when we are presenting something, you know, and someone's like, well, hey, I took this course, and they said X, Y, and Z. And so if we actually have an understanding of what course they took, then we can actually have better conversations around that uh, so yeah, we spend a lot of time educating ourselves, whether it is taking courses in person and we do a lot of virtual stuff. Uh, we read a lot of books. We have hundreds of books around us right now. I mean, like we're, we're constantly trying to do research. We pop shop, um, beginning you know, like having conversations like this. we learn from you, we learn from people on social media too, you know, so we, we definitely pay attention uh, a lot and we, as educators feel that obligated, yes, to actually know a variety of things. 
and to be able to have those conversations because we will get questions uh, often about that. You know, if like we are teaching the PPSC and someone will say, well, I took CPPS, which sounds very crazy <laughs> and this. So it's like, yes, we also take your CPPS. So it's like that. So we definitely try to stay up to date on our own certifications too and our own knowledge base just so we can have those conversations. So we aren't like, huh, I never even heard of that. I don't know what it is. So right. yeah, we definitely try to stay on, on our game ourselves for sure. It's so funny because those two are like the same literal, like just flip around the uh, acronyms, but yes. they're like totally different courses. Yeah. But they're both, I mean, they're both great. Uh, Absolutely. So both of you, you're um, competitive in strength sports. I imagine when you first walked into the gym, that wasn't your intention. Or was it? No, I mean, for, for me personally, I have a background of an endurance athlete. I was actually a runner for 20 years. I also did boxing for several years and I was a dancer. So I definitely was not much into strength. I, I always wanted to be, and I was very tiny. So I had a nickname my entire life of tiny Tasha. So I was just scrawny. I was just short, tiny, scrawny, little scrappy thing. And I always admired women that were big and strong and muscular. I'm like, oh, and I, I really want to be like them. So it took me a, a lot of years to actually put on size and to develop that uh, the strength skill set that I, I do have. And I went into actually bodybuilding because I wanted to get bigger because I was trying to, tired of being so tiny and scrawny. So I started putting on size, but I realized very quickly that I did not want to be a competitive bodybuilder because that wasn't really, didn't fit with my personality of, being in a, a bikini and spray tanning and makeup and hair and nails and big tomboy here. So that just did not fit my personality at all. I'm like, well, what do I do with this? And I started kind of getting stronger. I was like, oh, I like being strong. And then uh, someone talked me into doing a powerlifting meet you know, about 12 years ago. And I was like, yeah, let's let's do this. Let's try it. And I, I fell in love with it. And I realized that strength performance was more of my thing. I would fit my personality and my ultimate goals in life. So... Uh, yeah, definitely was not the first thing that crossed my mind walking into a gym, though, is like, really, really strong. But after some trial and error with some things, I was like, nah, strength is actually beneficial always, no matter what sport, no matter what you're doing, being strong. I mean, obviously, that's gonna, strength is going to look different for everyone, but being strong is actually a very valuable thing. Right. It's it's harder to kill strong people. <laughs> Peter. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say similar. I um. Although I didn't have an endurance background for sure. Like I, uh, I was actually probably, I fell in love more with the gym than I did like team sports. So I was one of those kids that didn't, like I played sports when I was younger, baseball, soccer, tried all that. Um, never really stuck with me. You know, I wasn't like genetically gifted or anything. I didn't really like, man, be passionate about this. Uh, so it wasn't until probably like junior high or actually, yeah, probably age 12 or so that I went to the gym and it's like, this is fun. But around that time, like YouTube was just starting out. There wasn't as much information out there. Uh, so there was a little bit of like some YouTube out there from like supplement companies like bodybuild.com, BSN. Um, so it kind of was more the bodybuilding influence that I started with and just kind of really dove into that. And then really not until probably more college where started to lean more into strength and yeah, and then I was basically with Tasha. We took a powerlifting meet uh, with about two weeks notice. Like, yeah, there's one eat. Yeah, it's just round we're at anyways. Which is like, yeah, let's try it out. Let's do this. So, yeah, that was we were definitely fish out of water. Like, 
did not really know what was going on, but it was fantastic and very supportive community. So uh, ever since then, yeah, it's like, this is, this is cool. This is something that we enjoy doing and seeing that there's so much more potential uh, in terms of getting stronger and getting something like that, like some kind of a competitive drive that aligns with a passion of training mm. where it's like, yeah, I can compete on what I like to do. So doing powerlifting where it's like, yeah, I have a date on a specific, like a specific date and I need to be peaked for it really, I think exponentially, uh, helped us learn. Yeah. How many better coaches, Yeah, So you learn programming, program design, how to create things, how to peak people, how to deload. So yeah, it is yeah. more intelligent by actually being competitive athletes. How do you think somebody would know if it was for them? I think you got to try it. I mean, uh, if it's something that, you know, you really enjoy lifting weights and you feel fairly proficient, at least enough not to get hurt, uh, doing like a one rep max and a squat, a bench press and a deadlift, uh, then yeah, I mean, you don't even have to do all three to try it. I mean, you could go in and do like a bench only or a deadlift only or a push full, uh, really just to get your feet wet. But at least in this specific Northwest, I mean, we've traveled also around the nation. Uh, it's a very supportive community which is fantastic. So, I mean, not that like other sports aren't, but like sometimes you go to like run a 5K, you don't necessarily talk to everybody, right? Yeah. People at Howard looked at me, they're really just hanging out. Like it's a celebration of strength uh, rather than like, man, I'm going to kick that guy's ass. Like, right. but <laughs> this is you against you for the most part, right? Yeah. Yeah, but it's really interesting though, because even with like clients, you know, we have a lot of clients that would have never in their wildest dreams would ever imagine themselves being strong or athletic or even competitive in a powerlifting and we'll just train them and you know they'll be like oh I'm, I'm not much of a lifter I don't do that stuff but we train them for you know several months and then years and they they start building confidence and feeling really good about themselves because they're feeling stronger and when they're stronger they carry themselves much differently much prouder with more confidence and then you know it's with a team, we do a lot of uh, a groups, so like semi-private, small groups, and we'll have like powerlifting or power hour groups. So everyone in the gym is is kind of on the same program, working together at this in their little community right there. And we then travel with them to powerlifting needs. We'll encourage them like, hey, why don't you just come along tight? It's just for fun. It's just a team thing that we're doing, whatever. And then they go in there and they just have a blast. You look zero expectations, even if they got dead last place. Everyone is so supportive, cheering them on. And they'll even hit PRs, even with, again, last place. So they hit a PR and they're like, that was amazing. Yeah. Yeah, so when you have people cheering for you and that kind of community, people will fall in love with it. And even if they think like, oh, that's not for me. But they're like, ah, just just come and check it out. And even just to be in the audience to watch. And they're like, this is so amazing. This is so much fun. I actually want to try this. So you get kind of energy and you just kind of fall in love with it and want to be a part of it. I remember I was watching something it was like i think it was probably like from like big three media or something like that i can't remember where it was from but i was watching it, it was like a trailer or something and then i see like a few of like the highlights and like you see the person trying to hit the big lift and everybody's like whoa and i was like you know you know that right there just that moment i could see how somebody would fall in love with this just like watching that and maybe they're just really good at capturing this but i also like i've been to powerlifting meets and seen it and it's like that moment just like your triumph over the barbell and that being celebrated i can see how that right there just get that's enough for somebody to be like 
I want to do this again. Like that, it's like it feels like it's probably a really good feeling. So I could see how, yeah, yeah, and like like and it's not like somebody else is trying to kick you off while you're doing it. It's like you get to finish your thing, and people celebrated that, and then you know, ultimately like just do it with the mindset of just doing better for yourself. Right. It's not like oh I have to win or like if I go to be ever to lose. It's not about winning or losing. It really does come down to I mean yes at high levels, yes, it is. And one wants to win and be the best. Right. But these local community levels is just about being a part of a team and a community right. and doing better for yourself. Right. You know, and then seeing these progressions and improvements that you wouldn't typically track or see otherwise. Yeah, I liked what Dan said, like the celebration of strength, because it was like it it really did feel like that. Now, and now, uh, I mean, I kind of want to go a little bit down the uh, the how strongman uh, came about. But I before we do, it is often thought that you get strong, you do these power lifts, you're gonna walk around like somebody who's permanently wrapped in multiply, like where you're like spandex stiff, and uh, and that and that ultimately you're probably going to encounter some sort of injury or that's a must have part of the process. Um, but you guys are also pain-free performance educators. Now, how do those things, you know, how do those coalesce? Where do they meet and make the beautiful child that is you two? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, yes, that is true that there is, an inherent risk when you're especially pushing the envelope on strength, right? Or really any physical trait. So is it always the healthiest thing? Maybe not, but can it be healthy? Yes. So just kind of factoring in training intelligently, um, not necessarily just jamming through it. So I think that's sometimes part of the stigma with that is just like, oh, power lifters just slot bench and deadlift and all they do is a straight bar. Right. So it's, they're just specificity on repeat. And that will probably run you into a wall. Uh, I know myself, that's part of how I started training. And I had to adapt because, yeah, I didn't necessarily, my elbows were feeling pretty beat up from a straight bar squat all the time. So that's where I started learning a little bit more of like, hey, okay, I need to maybe back off a bit. Uh, that's actually when we started doing conjugate training to where we're going to rotate bars, rotate stimulus. So we can actually train longer, like long-term, uh, why kind of avoiding any of those overuse or chronic use injuries. So I think really looking at the bigger picture as a whole of like, what is the goal? Like longevity? Yes. Uh, if it takes me that much longer to hit my slot goal, like I'm okay with that because I want to be able to walk and, you know, be not necessarily ridden with injuries. I don't just think that it's a, you know, an, hundred percent that's going to happen. Like, I think that's kind of unfair to say, uh, because there's really a pretty low chance of injury risk in the gym. Uh, there's actually probably higher risk outside of the gym in terms of, uh, at least statistics would show us. So, right. But the way that you train, I think matters, right? So really thinking in line, like powerlifting is very bilateral sagittal plane, uh, pretty much on repeat, but it doesn't have to be that way. So we, Training like humans first, like consider multiple planes of motion, uh, training, you know, transverse, frontal plane, like basically pushing fully all these different movements and 
uh, all of these considerations within our program, and then we may specify and build up to a competition. But if you're powerlifting or like anything really done on repeat, you're probably going to run or just an issue. I could say the same thing about like endurance running, right? So if we just ran and had no off season, like that's usually kind of where you start to see those like stress fractures or some kind of chronic overuse type injuries. So we need to balance out our training. Yeah, I just to add to that too. Again, and you know, with powerlifters, people assume that like, okay, we're only doing strength, max effort, strength, because we're trying to get as strong as humanly possible. So it's just all bilateral, squat bench, deadlift as heavy as we can, and we kind of just progress that. But now, what keeps us pain free and like moving well is we consider other things because it's not just about lifting heavy to get you strong. It's also about lifting lighter loads really fast and being fast and explosive. And that also adds to strength development, right? So some people will neglect the speed work and then they just run into like a lot of grinding out and a lot of pain and aches and stuff because they're just grinding, 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 and they're not actually moving lighter weights too fast, but also GPP, general prepared, general physical preparedness. So we do also conditioning. Uh, we know a lot of powerlifters that don't do any type of aerobic work or conditioning work, and you're going to run into a lot of issues and limitations and deficits and pain if you don't actually have a well-rounded training program. So we might last, yeah, four days a week, but we also do aerobic work and we also do conditioning work and then speed work, dynamic efforts. So it's not just us lifting heavy all the time because if you do that, yeah, you're, you're going to wear and tear on your joints. You're going to run into a lot of uh, load back discomfort. Like there's a lot of issues that you're going to run into if you're constantly just pushing, pushing, pushing and not even deloading or taking in consideration other areas of this. So we definitely have a well-rounded training philosophy, but we did not start that way, right? We're like, oh no, we're going to go tell everything. So we have learned the hard way too, where we had some injuries and like couldn't really, like I I blew out my back several years ago, like eight years ago at this point. And it was hard for me to get out of bed, walk straight for two years because I knew a disc and I had to rehab that, rehab it myself. I, I'm now, I'm, I'm stronger than I've ever been before, but I'm having change a lot of my training because of that, because I realized that I'm not conditioned. My work capacity is garbage. I'm not working on mobility. I'm not warming up properly. I'm not cooling down properly. Properly. So there's a lot of things that go into it and you have to be very mindful and intelligent about these things and consider the bigger picture and not just focus on, I want to be strong as shit and power lifting, slot bench deadlift. You got to consider all the other things too, right. weaknesses, limitations, all that. Yeah. Right. So, uh, um, what Dan said, he was like, I feel like it's unfair. Like it, you're actually more likely to get hurt outside the gym. So like if we were to break that down for somebody, it's like, if we know that injury equals force applied is greater than tissue tolerance, right? If we know that, then your ability to tolerate load is going to be greater inside the gym than it is outside the gym, right? Like if you never train, your ability to tolerate load is going to be far lower. Now, the loads that you might handle may be greater in the gym, but you're much more prepared for that scenario. So, but it can happen like through repeat overuse, like that overuse thing, like um, that you were saying is like, a lot of that too comes from like people start using as the loads get heavier, different compensatory strategies to try to move heavier loads. Right. It's like they start relying a bit more and more on like 
bony structures instead of like like your like your lower back like it's built to kind of when you can't take shit it learns to like oh i extend more so i can stack the joints on top of each other and now the facets are just kind of like pressing into each other and then yes structure doesn't adapt well like bones don't adapt well muscles adapt well so if you're just stacking bones on top of each other sure you might be able to keep the weights there but you're not going to get better at squatting because you're not training the thing that's going to get you better at squatting absolutely 100% when you guys um so like part of the thing part of the strategy for like rotating in different exercises and stuff like that we know that there is um through different movement planes different levels of complexity so like moving sagittally would be like step one your ability to move forward backward then your ability to move frontal and then transverse is going to be like the self-actualized version of all human movement right like being able to rotate take steps and go through gait cycle and stuff like that so for you guys is there like a a step-by-step process of meeting your client where they're at, like a, a, a phone book sort of indexing, like, okay, I've got I've got Jill, and she's just coming to the gym for the first time, and she's 43, and it's like, okay, Jill, like, we know where to find you here. This is how we will start with you versus, like, oh, like, we've got Dan over here. Dan's been training forever, and he's pretty strong. Like, where you meet those two individuals? Yeah, um... In terms of like a phone book process, like that's a, that'd be great to have something just completely dialed in like that. So, I mean, we do stuff like movement assessment. Okay. Uh, so we kind of see where they're at. That's something we do teach in the PPSC course as well. I uh, would we call the plan smarter strategy sessions where we're looking at certain potential deficits, right? So do they have an overhead mobility deficit? So that might be something that I want to consider in terms of where to start this individual. Uh, so once we kind of know generally where that body's at in terms of the movement capabilities, then we start to develop the load tolerance and capacities. And I would say generally starting with, uh, in terms of pillar for more of an anti-movement focus first. So we're teaching bracing, teaching stability, teaching the resistance of movement, and that would be multi-planar. So like a plank being anti-extension, basically, so they're not dropping down into that. So, um, all off press, looking at anti-rotation there, and then doing stuff in anti-lateral flexion like side plank. So really trying to develop the core and develop or use utilize exercises first that are a little bit more about bracing, creating that stability. And then we're going to start to maybe venture into more of that actually moving dynamically through those other two planes, being the frontal and the transverse. So that may be more of the expression of strength or performance. Uh, that we start to develop, but initially I like to start more with the more controlled satin movements where most people are going to be most comfortable and then resisting the other planes to create that, almost that connection that like their pillar, their strong, stable core, and then start to venture out to like, okay, you know what that feels like. Now let's actually move with it. So that may look like this side plane going into maybe a suitcase carry where it's still kind of isometric on the core, but now the hips are more dynamic. So there's like movement progressions that I'll map out for somebody and usually a, a sequence that I'll commonly use with people. Uh, there's always, a, a, you know, exceptions to the rule, I guess, if they have a certain injury in a certain area, 
to where I may do something a little bit out of order there, but for the most part, that's going to be, it's going to be the progression pattern that will follow. Just to add to that too, like when we're actually with uh, someone coming in for the first time and we have to go over needs analysis too. I mean, what's their, their training age, their experience, what have they been exposed to? Um, again, their, their limitations, uh, deficits, what their occupation is. I mean, do they have a very active occupation? Are they a firefighter, instructional worker? Do they sit at a desk? So we have to consider all these things for what their body's needs are and how much recovery they might need, uh, how much we can push them, what their specific goals are too. I mean, we have to consider that. Um, and then even personality. Yeah, consider their personality. Like, are they someone that actually gets really bored and they like a variety, you know, then that we're going to kind of dictate how we actually program for them based off of, you know, some elements of their, their personality as well. Um, but regardless of even those things, we do always hit all foundational movement patterns, right? Slot, um, hinge, lunge, push, pull, carry. So regardless of the individual, we're going to cover all of the foundational movement patterns and optimally hit that twice per week. But the variation within the movement pattern is going to look very different depending on that person and their needs as well. So right. they either progress them or regress them based off of that. Gotcha. So like depending on where they are in those squat hinge, push, pull, carry, stuff like that, um, you're finding ways to, because um, those those nece aren't necessarily inherently going to like move through rotation a ton, but like based on load position, you can still challenge rotation and you can yes. still challenge through the frontal plane. So you guys are kind of adopting those positions to make yes. that fit based on where they're at. Yes. 100%. Yeah. So that, that's something in our exercise progressions, like uh, different programs, right? We'll start with maybe contralateral loads, kind of build up a little bit more of that sling type pattern, and then go to maybe more of a ipsilateral load, loading on the same side as a stance leg. So we get a little bit more of that antilateral flexion, and then we might go back to bilateral load, but our loading capacity is now higher because now they're a little bit more stable controlling that unwanted movement so then we can start to regress and load them that much heavier if strength or um, you know that's their specific goal so absolutely utilizing those first is kind of like the anti-movements if you will yeah. and can you stabilize this and then we may even look at a contralateral load with rotation right so that may be the next progression of like okay now i want you to rotate over the toe on this rdl uh, so we're biasing that and we get more of a stretch reflex in terms of or a stretch a uh, sensation on the glutes where we can load the glute a little bit more fully in more three-dimensional uh, planes there. So, hundred percent. I kind of look at those movements as like the self, like you know those little. You've ever seen those memes where it's like it's got the like I don't know Neanderthal type person at the the top, and then at the bottom is like that person with like the glowing brain, and that oh. person at the the bottom is the. Uh, self-actualized version of yourself it's like the greatest potential version of yourself right like it's like oh right normally it's like something stupid as they're going through those memes in this case it's like you're actually like okay we're gonna take some like this rotational movement or we're gonna take this movement and incorporate the rotation that's like in my in my mind that's like okay you're trying to find the most dynamic position through the most difficult plane of motion and get them to actually learn to resist forces or produce force in those positions. That's kind of like that, like glowing brain person. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. 
Um, so do you, do you guys get many people who are interested in an actual sport? Are you getting more people who are interested in getting out of pain? Do you have kind of like, is it across the board? Um, I, I know that as master, a master coach for, uh, PPSC that you must get a lot of people who are interested in trying to get out of pain when you're, when you're dealing with those sort of people, is it a lot different than what you're doing just as general practice? Yeah. So even before kind of working with the PPSC, I would say a lot of clients come to us in some sort of pain. So whether it's a previous injury or whatever it may be, uh, that's a, it's kind of been a common experience, at least that I've had through my personal training career. Uh, I wouldn't say, I mean, go, after going through getting more and more educated, I know how to handle that a little bit better than maybe I did, you know, five, 10 years ago. Uh, but I wouldn't say that we're necessarily special in it or like sought out as like, we are the pain people, but like it does, like we do get, I would say pretty large majority have some kind of ailment that they're working around, but. Um, in terms of competitors, we, we tend to get people that end up competing, but maybe they don't necessarily seek us for it. Right. So they see our passion in it. Uh, definitely there are some that do seek us out for that. Like we do have, have people that are like, yeah, I want to get stronger. I want to compete. I want to bring up my lifts, uh, which is fantastic. Uh, but it's, it's pretty cool to see some people that like, yeah, they just have, you know, family man, like nine to five job working at Microsoft or something. And then they're like, yeah, let's, let's do this. Like, I want to sign up and do this. Like they had no intentions of before. Um, so that they, they can see that we're build that and that you kind of see that passion develop as well. So a mix, I guess is the short answer. We also have a, at pro club, a physical therapy department. And so people do know us as, oh, we have master structures for pain for you performance. So we do get a lot of referrals and even people that come to these courses that are uh, from other gyms, like we'll get referrals from them to like, I'll go to Dan or Tasha, you know, they can help you out. They'll get you there. So, I mean, yeah, we still do get a lot of people that like, Hey, I've heard that you guys are still like the go-to people to, to do this. And it really does just come down to putting people in the right positions and they just don't know how to get into those positions. So it's not like we have this like magic wand, you know, we're like, well, oh my gosh, we, we are these people that can fix you. We're not going to cure people. We're not going to diagnose people, but we're going to help people get into better positions and sometimes it's simply just putting them in the right positions makes their pain go away. Yeah. And, you know, they're just like, oh my gosh, how do I feel this good? I'm like, well, your body's actually in the right position, you know? And so positional mastery is one of the biggest things that we kind of hone in on. And we are sticklers for form and technique on that. Now, we're not looking for perfection with any of this because that's far and few fetch. You're not going to really find perfection, but we always look for, is this good enough? to load and to train and to get them feeling better and working towards their, their goals. And so, yeah, we definitely get sought out for it, but you know, again, some people even come to us and not realize and things so like, Oh yeah. I mean, most people are in pain. Like when we teach these courses, we always ask everyone to raise their hand if they're in it in any kind of discomfort or pain, you know, no broken bones or anything like that. But is anyone in any pain? Nearly anyone raises their hand. And these are all coaches, physical therapists, clinicians, massage therapists that come into these and everyone's hand goes up like legitimately like 95% of them do. So we have to kind of consider that it's we as specials are in some kind of pain. What do our clients feel like people that are at, you know, their desks and don't know how to move their bodies or navigate it, you know? So 
we kind of that's what our big emphasis is on is teaching these coaches and fitness professionals how to really navigate around me so people can continue to train so they can get to their goals. Because we have to make that very clear. It's like, you're like, not going to just fix it and cure them because we're not going to say that we cure pain, but simply by putting them in the right positions and loading them properly, a lot of that pain is just going to go away. Right. So just kind of considering that. Yeah. That what, you, what you're describing as the right positions, I often refer to as like a skills match. So like, yeah. like some people are jumping, like a lot of people, they've, they've seen stuff online. They're like, these people squat with a bar on their back. They have great legs and ass and I want to look like that. So like, that's what I need to do. So everybody goes straight to that barbell and it's like, Hey, well, like you are probably more of a goblet squat person right now until we learn to control our center of mass. Then we can begin to progress the barbell backward. We move to a front squat. Then we move to high bar or even S heaven forbid you have an SSB available and you move there before you go to high bar. So like, um, I, that's, that's how I kind of see that. And it seems like part of, um, the assessments, like you're like being like, do they have an overhead deficit? So are you guys like testing specifically like, oh, okay. It's like it's external rotation to the shoulder or it's lack of thoracic extension or flexion or rotation. Um, are you guys kind of assessing, different components of each joint to to kind of make that um i guess like not diagnosis but to uh to come to to, to come to that result yeah definitely i mean like it's talking about overhead we definitely kind of uh test out to see if it's coming from their thoracic spine or is it the last that are the issue or is it the pecs that are the issue so we'll put them in different positions to test out where it is because we want to know as much information as we possibly can so we can design a warm-up appropriately and then their their training program appropriately as well. So they do, we have discovered that, hey, it's actually the pet that is the limiting factor. Like we need to test that out because if we don't know, then we're like just throwing random darts at places like, oh yeah, it's your, your T-spine, totally your T-spine. When it might not be the T-spine mobility deficit, it legitimately could be the pet that is the issue. So we definitely uh, try to to get as much information from our clients and these people is as possible you know that yeah so they'll test things out for sure same with like uh able deficit you know we need to know if it's a bony structure issue or if it's a soft tissue deficit right and then where's that coming from is that coming from the soleus or is it coming from the gas shop so we'll do different things just to kind of test it out a little bit if you had like a if you had like a a, a talus block at the ankle do you have somebody go see like the pt and have them like go pop some shit real quick or are you guys trying to do some things with them yeah, so we, we'll try some self-mobilization strategies first uh, just to see if we can maybe create more space. and maybe Like a banded ankle one or? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Or just, you know, we'll do it or manual with the opposite hand and just kind of hold it there and then basically kind of get the basically that forward translation to happen, that knee driving over the toe bar. Uh, so if we can open up space, then we can start to train it. And then we could start to anchor it. And then hopefully over time, that builds up resilience and strength at late. So, um, I would try that initially, unless it's like really bad or really painful, or like, we just can't get a result. Then it's like, yeah, let's maybe see if we can get a PT appointment or somebody that can do more manual therapy, uh, to get them to clear that. But uh, for the most part, I mean, you've seen some success in doing that to where it's just like, yeah, it may take, you know, some weeks, but it incrementally improves. And if it's something where it's like, Hey, if you can't really swap really well, because of the angles, like we could still box squat, 
we could still put their heels up on an elevated plant board or uh, maybe put some five pound plates underneath. So we can still kind of achieve the result and continue to work on trying to progress that equals root. So kind of taking that halogen first and trying to apply that. And yeah, if you're running into a wall and it's just like, yeah, this is not working or pain, like pain being present, like hundred percent, like refer out, they're going to appreciate you for it because they're going to be that much quicker to get back to training and they will feel that you have their best interests at heart. And then the other practitioner, I'm sure this will be thrilled with that too, right? Where you're, you're getting things treated and uh, it becomes a great referral network as well. So. Do you ever like, so I guess going back to the ankle again. Um, so like, I feel like a lot of what people diagnose as like a, a deficit at their ankles often is if we were to jump back a little bit, a center of mass issue. It's like they have this forward pro projection in their mass. Their pelvis is usually dumped forward. Their spine's a bit in extension. It's almost like somebody's behind them at all moments trying to push them off a cliff. Right? So they're kind of stuck in extension. Oh, yeah. yeah. So that puts them a little bit more on their toes. Their calves feel a little bit tight. It's like, dude, you're fucking, your, your body doesn't want you to fall on your fucking face. <laughs> right? And so it's just a matter of like, when we get mass in your hands, it sends you back onto your heels. We rock back a bit. Oh, calves feel less tight. Hamstrings aren't fucking gripping your pelvis trying to stay stable, right? Like it, we know that the hamstrings work as a pelvic stabilizer. So if they're feeling constantly tight, they're, they might not necessarily need more stretching, right? They just might need to be, as Tasha said, yeah, stronger and in a better position, right? So you can actually create leverage for them. Like they're literally going to have pretty shitty leverage if you're falling off a cliff, right? Like it's the last resort in that situation. Um, so with the, with the ankle specifically, do you guys find that if you just kind of adjust some of their positions or do you find that a lot of people actually have ankle restrictions? It's like when they're going through the test, it's like, okay, your ankles are actually like pretty tight. We need to mobilize these. Are you finding that more often than not, people are just in the wrong positions? Yeah. A little bit, a combination of both. There, there seems to be, um, I don't know, on this day and age, what I noticed a lot, at least, uh, art club that people do have a lot of ankle issues because a lot of people are runners or want to be runners. And so they run, but their bodies aren't even ready to be running or their gait's off. So they kind of get funky, like jacked out or junky ankles. So they will have some kind of limitation there. But a lot of it is, in my opinion, skill. Right. It's just a skill set. They, they aren't familiar with how to create tension in the body. And that's, uh, I think, a, a huge skill that every lifter or everyone that goes to the gym needs to Learn is the skill of creating tension throughout the body. Because as you know, if we create tension throughout the body, it becomes more stable. Right? And then when you're more stable, you can move better. You can generate more force production that way too. So, I mean, I, I think a lot of it really is wrong positioning to be in for their body type as well or their anatomy. So sometimes they'll, they'll look at people, and I've been guilty of this in my past, where I see a really strong slaughter and they're super wide and turned out and I almost like a sumo slaughter. I'm like, well, they're really strong. and lift a lot of weight. So I'm going to slot like them, even though their physique is completely different than me. But yeah. we get, we see someone that does it really well right. and then we try to mimic it. But even though it's not necessarily like for our own body. So yeah, I think a lot of it is uh, in proper positioning and stance for their body type and even just that skill 
of actually moving through space. So some people will cut their squats real short, right? Like above parallel. And you just kind of coach them through that, get them, get them to load it a little bit with a, a kettlebell goblet slot, create that tension and to really pull themselves down. They're like, oh, I can't go anymore. I'm like, yes, you can try. And then they do. They're like, oh, I had no idea yeah. I can do that. Because in their brain, they just never done it. And they didn't think that their body could do it because they've never been taught that kind of stimulus and sensation and skill to even get into proper position and range of motions. Right. Yeah. One one thing that I like, I, I don't, do you guys uh, follow much stuff from Jordan Shallow? Are you familiar with Jordan Shallow? Oh, yeah, yeah. So one of his his things was like, your body just is does not want you to fall over. Right. So like a lot of people that feel like they're, they can't get deeper in their squat. A lot of the times it's because they're adopting a position where if you go further down, you're going to fall. And that's because we're not placing our mass in the appropriate spot. And so when we adjust that, we get them into the right spot, whether it be backward or forward, depending on how they're squatting. Oh, they magically open up and they're able to come down. I literally had an instance of this with a client of mine here today. It's like, gave her a counterbalance and I'm like, yeah, you're dropping back into those hips. Let's pull these hips actually forward this time, counter the weight, get more upright with your to- torso, boom, ass touches ankles. And it's like, well, positioning. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, it, it feels like magic at first, but it's like, no, it wasn't. It's like just we're physics, you know, <laughs> yeah, like just, just getting you in the right. That's why I like actually giving load to people too. Cause I've had a lot of clients that do an embodied weight swap, they fall over. Yep. Literally, my fallback was because, again, their center of mass is not where it needs to be, yep. and they can't control that, and they don't know how to navigate that unless they have load, which then they create tension because now we loaded them up, and then it cleans up their technique. So sometimes adding some load just for their that mind-muscle-movement connection, create the tension, put the load in a certain spot, and it really does just clean things up significantly. Sure. Yeah, I just uh, kind of add to that... Um... I would say, yeah, that position is going to be huge, right? Proper positioning. Uh, but even then, like, if we can get them into a good position with load, like, that's their default, right? So they're they're almost stuck in that feeling of, like you said, falling forward. So those tissues are likely going to be pretty toned up or yeah. pretty pretty tight, right? So they can be turned on, if you will, or feeling a little restricted. So I still feel like, um, have, like we can create this transient change and kind of load through it. We need to do that on a repeated basis. So sometimes that does require some interventions of like, yeah, we might do some soft tissue work, some stretching work, kind of help to create that uh, right balance there so that we could mostly achieve those positions sooner and maybe unconscious, like when they're maybe not under load, right? So things are chronically tight for a reason. It's like the patterns that we get into. So if we can try to pull them out of that, get them in better position, I think then over time, we may see that crazy change then sick and we have a little bit more perfect well um so with the uh the tight muscle uh conversation do you find that um people like i don't think there's a shortage of foam rollers in gyms and i feel like a lot of people use them do you find that people are spending time foam rolling things that they would be better off training they've been doing it for so long like like again like how many people are guilty of just foam rolling or stretching their hamstrings until no end. Uh, and then where is there somewhere else that they should be focusing on instead? Um, or, you know, are you like, Oh, they're hitting all the hot spots. Like what is, what is your general take on that? Yeah, I think it's, um, really kind of having some kind of test retest, right? So 
if something's, if you can create a transient change, we're probably on the right track. What do you mean? So, I mean, if you say, for example, you foam roll your hip flexors and then you go into a swap and it's like, it felt better, like objectively or subjectively felt better objectively. You're getting deeper. It's like, okay, maybe that was something that was potentially needed. Right. So the certain point, like, yeah, you're going to miss basically run out of, um, really seeing much progress from that. But like, if you, I feel like you're, you're leaving yourself loose. So if you start to feel better by doing it versus when you don't do it, then it might be something you want to stick with for a little while. But if you really feel no different, probably not worth doing. Right? So like you mean, if when you say no different, um, you mean that if you keep having to return to that? I mean, like even after, like, because mm. usually a lot of the stuff that we do in terms of like foam rolling, stretching, it is just momentary change, right? So that transient change is only going to last for so long. Like you can even go get a massage and it's like, oh yeah, I can raise my arm over my head. And then, you know, an hour later, you're like, it's, it's right back to where it was. Like there's part of that to where we kind of need to have that sit over time, but like you were on the right track because you probably opened that up. So for example, in the, the spot example, if we're foam rolling our hip flexors, and it's like, okay, and now I can squat a little bit deeper. That might be a clue to like, hey, maybe we're on the right track here. If it's something where it's like, yo, I'm going to try rolling my glutes and it still feels like shit. I can't get any deeper in my slot. It's like, well, that's probably not your issue, right? So if you're doing something without a positive result, then it's probably focusing on the wrong thing. I know, I think we're a little bit better about it now, but I remember back in the, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 years ago where you'd see these programs come out and it's like foam roll every single joint where it's like, okay, I'm going to spend 10 minutes rolling out my, my bat, my quads, my pinky, my big toe, like <laughs> these things where it's like, yeah, I need to mobilize everything. Like that's just like a shotgun approach. But like, if you can really think more like a sniper of like, Hey, let's, let's try this. Like one or two things. Let's see if it works. If it doesn't cool. I'm not going to do that next time. I'm going to try something else. So like you can really hone into maybe where are your trouble spots, if you will. Right. And then that'll give you more information, I think. So if you do everything all at once, like you're really not learning a damn thing. Like, right. So you pick one or two and it's like, cool, positive result. I got a better spot. Like that was what I'm looking for. Then it's, yeah, I might continue to do that until it no longer gets any better when I do it. Then it made him to something else or maybe nothing at all. Right. My, um, my, I, I, I also want to go back to what Tasha said about people not being running ready for running. I feel like it's it's not that hot of a take, but I feel like it's a hot take because a lot of people feel like all you need is a pair of sneakers and you just go run. And you just go. Right. I, I want to go back to that. But before we do, um, going back to tension, like when when I'm dealing with somebody, especially like the hip flexor and it's like, why, why, why is it tight? And so in my mind, I'm, the psoas is a uh, stabilizer of the lumbar spine. It's like, well, if the psoas is tight, it's likely because it's having to do more work to stabilize the lumbar spine. So in my mind, I don't necessarily feel like I'm going to spend time foam rolling that often. Like, I don't think it's often going to be the case where it's like too tight in, in my experience. But I often find is that there's a lack of stability in the trunk. And by doing that, we then end up getting 
the release from the psoas because it was just overworked. Kind of in the case of the hamstrings, sometimes there is that forward projection in mass and it's the hamstrings. So I think I will use those tools if it's like, if it's, if it's indicated. So like, um, I think like you said, being a sniper in your approach there, it's like, okay, we know like, um, Tasha, you were talking about earlier, like, okay, we know it's the pecs because like we did this assessment. So we're going to go boom, we're going to do this. That'll help us open up some range. And then, then we go stretch. And Dan, what you were saying, like with that sniper type approach, it sounds like you're pairing your assessments with like, yeah, there's that transient, like, okay, we've got some opening up of that range, but then we're like, boom, we're going to knock this thing down because it's getting in our way. We notice that now we're better able to get into the positions that we're getting into. Is that kind of what you were saying? Yeah. I mean, aside from that, I mean, what's the point of an assessment, right? So right. it's kind of giving you that roadmap to then apply what you learn. So if you just kind of, oh, okay, we assess, we know this, and we don't necessarily act on it, then there's really not a point to doing that. So 100%, I think if you find those things, then you start to kind of knock them out and kind of get those basically cleared, if you will, yeah. uh, to where they're improved and not necessarily a chronic or an issue, then cool, we can start to move on and we're starting to rat for some of these things. But um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of that step of like going from like a screen, does it look good? Okay, no. Then we deep dive assess, try to figure out what the hell is going on. Uh, and we could kind of get more insight into, okay, I think this needs more range of motion here. Or this needs to be uh, relaxed more, like you're saying, with like a psoas, like, okay, is it a lane tension relationship with other muscles too, or the muscular imbalance? Uh, it could also be potentially a positional thing too, in terms of like, oh, that diaphragm, right? Are we, you know, using a respiratory model there? Are they really stuck in that extension? And does that rib cage even move? And you get that rib cage to come down and sack that rib cage or right. pelvis. Oh, look at that. That kind of opened up our hip mobility. Our hip flexors are no longer in a tight position. So we got to kind of test these things and try it out and see what works and then Cool, we lean into what works. Yeah. Um, one thing that we move- try to figure out like mobility versus stability, right? right. Because it could be both kind of differences or deficits too. So that's why part of our screens and our assessments is to kind of figure out if there is a deficit or linchpin, then where's that coming from? Is it a mobility deficit or is it a stability deficit? And then we would address that. So, I mean, yeah, there's rhyme and reason for everything that we do, and there there should be as coaches because we're doing that to gather that information so we can actually get them to their goals. You know, we can't get them to their goals if we're running into all these roadblocks. That is our job as coaches to, to kind of help them break down those roadblocks so we can get them to their end result. The little report. Cool. The last one, I guess I wanted to jump back in on that running situation. Um, so a lot of people like maybe wouldn't totally understand why why is it that I wouldn't be ready or prepared to just like grab my pair of shoes and run. I walk every day. What the hell's the problem? I I used to run back in the day. Like, what are you talking about, Tasha? Like, why? I mean, like I was saying, I was a runner for 20 years. And if I were just to put my shoes on right now and to take off all out, how do you think my body's going to feel tomorrow? Even though I have all those years of training in it, but I don't do it a on a regular basis or consistent basis right now. So 
my body wouldn't even be prepared for that. And I'm, I'm in pretty darn good shape. I mean, I go hiking all the time, but I haven't been consistently running. So it's just like going to the gym and lifting weights, right? So you have to have your starting point and you have to slowly progress it because if you just go all out, the likelihood of injury and lack of recovery is going to be significantly higher. So tissue tolerance, joint durability, um, even that skill, like gait running, people aren't really sure how to run. You'll see a lot of people with that, their neck sticking out, their chest out, you know, like the positionings even that they run it or walk in. So people are walking kind of with, you know, their too much extension in their back too, they're going to run like that. So it really is also running is a skill, just like lifting weights is a skill, bracing, creating tension is a skill. So, but people have it in their mind, but that's just easy. Again, let me just grab my shoes and go out the, the door. But I've had a lot of clients that had done that too. They're like, well, I want to lose weight. And that's, you know, so they're going to go running, but their bodies are not ready for them to go running. So then they sprain their ankles, injure their toes. Something happens with their feet. Everything moves up chain. Their knee hurts, their hip hurts, their adductors all messed up because the body is not prepared. So we need to always prepare the body first for whatever training we're doing and slowly progress. And there, that's where I think people have that mindset. They just kind of get messed up in their brain. It's like, well, I don't want to like slow down. I'm, I'm already ready because I, I walk. I already move like that. But again, we still need to treat it as something that is new and slowly progressing to build that tolerance. Because it is just a matter of tolerance and the right positioning too. Because right. again, if they don't even know what right positioning is and they go out and run in a really suboptimal position, then they are not going to feel good. They're going to get injured and they are not going to make much progress whatsoever. Right. And it make I mean, it makes total sense because like you're talking about from, it, it sounds like an acquisition of skills, right? Like, so in order to, to have the appropriate position, that's an understanding one. And then it's like, well, hey, if you, you like, we know that it goes sagittal, frontal, transverse, uh, running occurs in the transverse, which is going to be probably a more difficult plane. Uh, we know that there's going to be, um, in terms of endurance, um, we that's the first thing we want to build is like some sort of capacity with our positions. Uh, and then we would talk loads and then we would talk velocities, right? Because it's harder to control things at high speeds. So if we're going from, sure, you can handle your body weight. If we're saying you're handling your body weight well, currently walking, sure. But that doesn't mean go out and run. The first thing we do is not just add velocity to a what would be most difficult plane of motion um so yeah it makes sense why you're like you were saying like the adductors the hips the knees the ankles and not even to mention like i'm not a huge knees over toe guy but like maybe one thing that he might have been onto is just the fact that people've got this little floppy foot and so like getting people to train their tibs to keep an active foot so that they can actually get into early stance um, versus dropping straight into mid stance and then their whole shin's like, fuck. <laughs> so like, you like, like people are like, oh, training your tips is magic. And it's like, well, if you just knew and understand that skill of like keeping an active dorsiflexed foot as we kind of like are making contact, you probably wouldn't um, get shin splints. But um, yeah, so. I mean, like a surface too, like people will just again, grab their shoes and go run outside on concrete cement, right? And it's like, bow that hard 
impacts you rather than thinking, okay, maybe I should start on a treadmill, something soft, or on a trail. So the surface also matters too, because the body's not used to that kind of impact. So they just kind of go take off and it's like, hey, you're just kind of putting yourself at risk for a lot of messed up stuff going on. So a lot of considerations for sure. Well, you guys, yeah, I've I've picked your brain a lot today and I definitely know that we could go down many, many a rabbit hole. So I definitely have to have you guys back on. I, I definitely want to go back down that that strength rabbit hole with you guys. I really do appreciate it. Um, for for the people that are looking to maybe like learn more from you or learn more about you, where would you uh, where would you suggest that they check you out? Or is there any links that you want us to include? You can find me on Instagram at ironwolf03. Dan is Ideal Strength. We also have our website, idealstrength.com. So there's a lot of uh, information on there for us. And we have a, a training app as well. Uh, Dan, what's our training app? Idealstrength.programs.com. There's like 20 plus programs on there, strength, endurance, conditioning. There's lots of stuff on there. So definitely check that out. And there's some cool stuff. Anything else? Yeah, I mean, with those uh, programs, I mean, they range from like for tactical populations, uh, also for endurance athletes. So preparing your body to run, what we're, which we're just talking about. So doing some things that are, you know, hopefully trying to avoid some of those injuries and get you ready to hit the road. Uh, there's Couch to 5K program for a reason, right? So we have those. We have um, obviously your powerlifting one, something that's a little bit more in are we also with the strength, uh, a lot of stuff there for athletes too. So kind of a, a pretty wide variety of programs on that app. And it's kind of a, almost like a catalog. Like once you're subscribed, you can just stick with one you want and you can change it at any time and switch to another program. So it's a all at cart, if you will. Love it. It's pretty cool. We got a community as well with that. So you get access to us as coaches. So yeah. I also have a bunch of articles on T Nation. So definitely can check those out. A lot of training articles on there. So Definitely a lot of value in those articles. Sure. Perfect. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. We appreciate you. Thank you for having us on. It was great. For sure.